the Ghost Goal Podcast. The 2022 January transfer window has officially slammed shut with plenty of high-profile moves all around the league, including some managerial movement for you guys, as Frank Lampard takes over at Everton and Roy Hodgson takes over at relegation-threatened Watford. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 342. Going to do mainly a January transfer uh, roundup for you guys. I know the window closed a couple days ago, but... uh, there's still plenty to talk about. Uh, here with me today, Javier. How you doing, man? Doing pretty well. A little disappointed that we don't have much Arsenal or really Chelsea talk to, to have on this pod because neither of our clubs did much transfers, but I'm sure we'll sneak some in there. But yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, like, you can always rely on yeah, us I'm to sure make we'll, things we'll, about Chelsea or right, Arsenal. I'm sure we'll, we'll come up with things to talk about. But but other uh, other other in other places in the league, I mean, Everton making big moves, Newcastle. Villa, Liverpool, Tottenham. Every, everyone but our clubs. Everyone but our clubs. Yeah, everyone but us. Uh, but let, let's start with Everton, because there's obviously transfer movement there to talk about. But the, the main big news was the announcement on Monday that Frank Lampard, former Chelsea and Derby manager, would uh, take over after Rafa Benitez was sacked a few weeks ago. So obviously, uh, I hold Frank Lampard very close to my own heart. But I'm interested to see like how you think the fit would will will be with Frank Lampard at let's face it a struggle struggling Everton side that many more experienced and more decorated managers like Carlo Ancelotti and more recently Rafa Benitez they haven't been able to get a hold of it. Like how do you think this is fit wise for Frank Lampard? I want to say that it's kind of risky from the Everton management because they only have 19 points right now. You know, they do have a couple of games in hand, but Newcastle and Watford, you're kind of both expecting to to get bumps from their, you know, Newcastle, a bunch of signings. Watford got a new manager and Burnley still have a bunch of games in hand. So I think Everton are under pressure this season and they don't have a lot of wiggle room. And I think a lot of the elements that Frank Lampard had at Chelsea that helped make him successful, mainly having an insanely large squad depth as well as probably the best academy in the country. He had a huge mix of experience and and youth. At Everton, he's not going to have that same... He's going to have a lot of problems. He's going to have players that want away, that don't want to be coached by him, you know, that think that they're bigger than the club, that, you know, think that the club's going down. Players like Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, you know, he's going to have to try to convince those types of players to try to stay and to try to build something. And He's going to need immediate results. It's that's kind of where we're at now in the managerial business, where if you don't get results in the first month, you're out of the job, just like Ranieri was. And yeah, I mean, it could be like that for Frank, where if we come in a month and Frank hasn't done well, like they they might pull the plug on him and go find someone else because, you know, I think Frank is, is a risk. I think this is just his second job. I know he's been out of out of the job for a while and. He could he could be successful. I'm not saying he's not going to be. I just think that it's 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 definitely a roll of the dice by the Ever- by an Everton team that needed needed something fresh. But I'm not sure if this was it. That that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't I don't fault you. It's definitely a a realistic way of looking at it. 
looking at it from the Everton side of or the Everton perspective of in terms of like how big of a risk is it? I was looking at it from Frank Lampard's perspective of this is way too big of a, of a risk for Frank Lampard to take right now. Like, I, I get it. He wants to get back into management. I thought he would have been a pretty good fit at Norwich. Aston Villa probably would have been an okay fit, but they obviously had eyes on uh, Gerrard. It, it, the Norwich one I liked because it seemed like there was sort of low expectations. He could afford to get relegated, rebuild the squad in the championship because they always seem to bounce up anyway, regardless of who their manager is. And, you know, sort of build from the ground up and uh, mount another like attempt at the Premier League in a year or two from now. But this I Everton see what you job, did there, Alex. Yeah, mount, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. That's just baked into my subconscious. Uh, this Everton job, I bring up managers like Ancelotti and, and Benitez because if if they couldn't figure it out, then, well, Rafa is extenuating circumstances, but if managers like that have trouble getting through to these players and have and have trouble getting these players to defend consistently and do the basics of the game, then Frank is... Like, let's be honest, Everton's full of, like, chalk weight, dead weight, players like a Wobi. Players and... they overspent on, for sure. Uh, I mean, there are some there are some gems in there. You know, like I feel like Decore is still like a salvageable, decent player. Calvert Lewin, you can criticize just for the injuries alone, but when he's healthy, he's one of the best center forwards in the league. But I agree with you. There are a lot of players like Fabian Delph, and yeah, you mentioned Alex Iwobi. I I, I st- honestly think players like. Like Yerry Mina is kind of like an overvalued center back just because he's he's big and he's played it at Barcelona before, even though he barely played there. They've got a lot of players that have like, who are basically rejects from other clubs. There's players like John Joe Kenny and Aaron Gordon um, and Mason Holgate that I think Frank will do well with. But some of these older players like Seamus Coleman or you know um, well, Coleman's Solomon not a good Rondon. Example. Like Coleman's yeah, like an example of a good older player, like a good experienced sure, player. Sure, sure. But I just think that like there isn't, there's a lot of problems right now at Everton. There's a lot of holes. You know, they just lost Lucas Digne, and I, I, I just, I don't know that he was probably their best player. There's just so many things right now for Everton right now, or one of their best players. You know, that Richarlison, Calvert Lewin, but there's a lot of problems that Frank has to solve and and I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to do it in the, in the amount of time that they have. I'm not saying Everton are getting relegated, but like if he finishes 16th well, or 15th, is that well, going to be that, okay with them? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like you just said, I mean, you said they had 19 points. I had to double check that because that sounded that that sounded like too low, but <laughs> you're correct. They have 19 points. In terms of the the table with 20 games played, which is you know less than most of the teams below them, uh, other than Burnley, who of course are you know every game they've had has been postponed. Six points above Norwich, who are in 17th. They're four points above, <laughs> four points above Newcastle, uh, but Newcastle have one more game played. It, it it is getting down to a relegation scrap there, but I think for how bad most of those other teams are like we we would probably would expect Norwich and Watford to definitely get relegated so so the reason why the reason why yeah the reason why is because Frank made mistakes with Chelsea and it and you know that you guys kind of hobbled to a top four with that he can't make those mistakes at Everton 
So, okay, the thing I want to set clear is that Frank Lampard succeeded at Chelsea. I don't think Frank Lampard was a failure at Chelsea. Frank Lampard came in in a time of crisis for Chelsea, where we had a transfer ban, we had lost our best player, Eden Hazard, which just had just been sold. He brought in youth players, some of them that he'd worked with before, like Mason Mount and Fikayo Tomori. He was at a club that he was extremely familiar with. I'm not disagreeing with that, yeah, Javier. I'm not, this is I'm so, not saying, much, so different. I'm just saying the the bar that is set so low at Everton for this season alone, that I, I think he'll succeed in keeping them in the Premier League. Right. Which, well, we should talk it. about some of the players that they brought but, in to, I mean, to try that, to that, do I mean, that. We, ha- we have to, because two of the players that they brought in, uh, well, they brought in three late in the window, technically, but two that I think stick out the most are Donny van der Beek on loan from Manchester United, the attacking midfielder. And then weirdly out of nowhere on deadline day, Deli Alley signed permanently with Everton. Now I like the Donny van der Beek deal, but I'm struggling to see what Frank is going to make of Deli Alley. Cause he's just been like an enigma for every manager that's I mean, tried they have to him, get the best out of yeah, him. Yeah, they Tottenham. have him. They have him as a free transfer, so I don't think they're losing too much. I, I like the the Donny Van de Beek loan as well as the we haven't talked about it, but Anwar Ghazi loan from Villa because he was just kind of rotting on that Villa bench. There were so many players that were ahead of him now, but he he was a great. He had ten Premier League goals last season, El Ghazi, and if he can find some of that form for Everton, they just need him to score five or six goals. Same with Van de Beek and Ali to chip in a couple of goals here and there, and I think they'll they'll be safe. I think that's what these players have been brought in to do is bring more goals into the team. Um, I don't know too much about Nathan Patterson, who they got from Rangers, or uh, you know Vitaly Mikolenko from from Dynamo Kiev, but those are probably some younger players that that Frank could could coach into the team as well. So probably enough tools to keep them up. If if that's all that the expectation they have from this season, then yeah, I think Frank could could succeed this season in keeping them up. I, I think he absolutely will succeed in in. You know, staving off relegation, but what, what do you think Frank sees in Deli Ali? Like, are we, are you and I, just going to completely shit all over this move? Because that's what I'm leaning towards right now. Because I just haven't seen much from. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to like. I I don't want to criticize the move because it was a free transfer, and I need to see what the plan is first. We're just you know we can't like dive into this and and theorize we because we we don't know. We don't know what Frank's going to play. We don't know what the team's going to look like. Ali might not make it into the team for a couple of months, you know, because the, the, frankly, midfield is one of the best parts that of Everton's team. You know, they have Decore, Gomez. Yeah, but uh, he's he's not a midfielder. It, it it feels like a move that, like, because Frank was hired officially so late in the window. Uh, like yeah, it feels every, almost every like a single, big name that they wanted to give him yeah, to not like even, make it not seem even like they're supporting just that him. They need a, a big name. It's that uh, Frank Lampard probably just signed off on like any sort of incoming transfers that that were you know offered to him, just because he's he's got no time to really sort through that squad and figure out like what areas need to be strengthened. The the one that I think will eventually keep them up and will have sort of like a Jesse Lingard at West Ham effect on the uh, on the Everton team from now until the end of the season has to be Van de Beek in terms of like people like to talk about that link between Frank Lampard and Mason Mount and Mason Mount being his son because of like the style of play and you know Frank coaching a midfielder to play like himself Donny van der Beek had all of those those traits that characterized Frank Lampard during his career he's 
was great at timing his runs, not only in behind, but getting into the box late and finishing off a chance that just popped up at the top, at the top of the box. He was one of the best in the world at, at those kinds of things when Ajax went to the Champions League semifinals a couple of years ago. So if Frank can get his claws into him and, you know, work some of that Mason Mount magic, I, I think that he could be the kind of player that, you know, gives them that injection of goals, along with El Ghazi. I, I agree. I he's a good signing, yeah, too. I, I don't know how much game time he's going to get because uh, we don't know what formations are going to play. We don't know if he's going to play with center attacking mids. If he does see Deli Ali as a signing because he's actually going to be there long term as someone who's going to help him. He'll probably play him over Van de Beek, and I could see Van de Beek coming off the bench. I don't know how good Van de Beek and how much he's going to start in this team, but yeah, I mean, if if he does, if he does have some sort of Lingard type impact where he starts scoring immediately like Lingard did, then I'm sure he'll stay in the team. But I I think it'll be kind of hard for Van de Beek to just break into the team in a six month loan. It's Maybe. usually hard I'm, for players to get game uh, time. I'm willing to bet that uh, Vanderbeek's going to be going to have that kind of impact, just from what I've seen of him before. So we both think Frank will do enough to keep Everton up, but uh, we'll, we'll have to sort of reassess during the summer, depending on uh, how much uh, the Everton board back him with transfers in the summer uh, going forward into the following Premier League seasons. But good for Frank. Happy to see him back in the league. What do you want to hit on next? We should probably hit on Newcastle. They're probably like the most the most impactful sort of window has to has to be uh, theirs because since we last recorded Newcastle United, they've made a three more uh, impactful signings, mainly uh, Bruno Guimaraes from uh, Lyon, a center midfielder slash defensive midfielder. Uh, they got Dan Byrne from uh, Brighton, the big six foot seven Dan Byrne. Um, they definitely needed help at the back there. And then they brought in Matt Target, the left back from Aston Villa, on loan. So he's only a loan player. I'm not really sure if they have any sort of buy option built in there. But uh, those three, along with, with Chris Wood and Kieran Trippier, make up three sign- or five signings in total in January. Was it more in the January transfer window than you, than you expected from Newcastle or less? Well... They spent £96 million in this transfer window, which was more than the last 15 years Newcastle had spent combined. In January specifically, right? I believe so. Because they they've, so. they made big... Like, Joe Ellington was like £50 million or something. Like No, yeah, in January. During the summer. In January. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it had been like previous 15 years and during the, the January transfer window. They hadn't spent... Uh, you know, they'd spent less than £96 million. But anyway, um, no, it seemed about right for about... You know, there's they spent within their means. They didn't go crazy and spend two or three hundred billion because everyone would go crazy. So, it seems like they've probably done just enough to stay up. Especially the 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 Bruno Guimaraes shining. Who, whenever I watched him on Lyon, he looked like one of the standout players. And I mean, I would have taken him on Arsenal. I think they ended up paying close to fifty million for euros for Guimaraes and paying him a lot of money, making him probably their highest paid player. Which I don't think Arsenal was ready to do it to to put in that sort of money to 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 get him that and also you know guarantee him a starting starting spot, um, but I think he's going to slot right into this Newcastle team. Him and, and Dan Byrne, both of them are probably going to come right in and, and hit the ground running. You know these are these are players who've been playing for their teams during the season and have been a decent form. I mean Dan Byrne's been playing for Brighton and give it ice for Leon so. Yeah, I think this is this this is enough for Newcastle. I think they're going to stay up. With this, this is enough to keep them up. I do. At, yeah, I think this is enough. At whose expense? I'm guessing Norwich, since they're in 17th right now. 
yeah, I think Norwich, Watford, Burnley. Well, Burnley's an interesting one. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I, I tend to agree with you, but Chris Wood doesn't seem like enough in terms of uh, an injection of goals. Like, yes, they do still have Callum Wilson, but he's out, I think, for another month or so with an injury. And you never know how quickly he'll well, pick up they, an injury they, after they still that. Have, uh, they still have ASM, who... Yes, Alan San Maximan. But yeah, at, uh, as good as San Maximan is, he doesn't provide too many goals. Like he's well, he's, he's been creative... finding that this season. Yeah, he's been finding that this season more so than any other season previously, and really taking the mantle of best player on that team and driving that team forward. I mean, we used to think of Newcastle as relying on Almiron for or John Joe Shelby for creating chances, but I don't think that that's going to be what the team looks like now with Eddie Howe going forward. They're going to have more chances created. I mean, they've been playing with two big center forwards, crossing balls in, you know, while also now they're going to have the option of being able to play more on the ground with a player like Gimaraes. So I think this is enough for Newcastle. There's going to be enough variations of the team that they're going to be able to catch teams by surprise and use some of their now big physicality with players like Chris Wood, Joe Ellington, Dan Byrne, you know, Jamal Lascelles. They're, they're going to have these big guys coming in and they're going to get goals off set pieces as well. So... I think it's just going to be enough for them to stay up. Yeah, just to mention that that Bruno Guimaraes signing, he's 24 years old, Brazilian defensive midfielder. For me, that's like the best signing in the Premier League this January. Like there's there's oh, other definitely. there's other really yeah, good ones at, at you know more high profile teams, but in terms of like the impact that I expect him to have, uh, th- th- there isn't like a bigger jump in terms of the the level of player in that position that Newcastle is going to get. There isn't any other signing that gives you that big of an upgrade around the league than that. Because, you know, Newcastle, they're going from having, you know, Isaac Hayden and, uh, John, uh, what's his name? John Sh- Shelby. And Sean Longstaff. Yeah, yeah Shelby was Longstaff the one I was... in their midfield. The, right. Shelby was the one I was thinking of. And Shelby's playing pretty well right now, just scored a winner against Leeds. But he, none of those players have the combination of work rate and uh, talent going forward for like a box to box role that Gimaraish has. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be a great player. I'm I'm slightly frustrated actually to see them get a player of that profile. You know, not not too young that he's too inexperienced to come in and make an impact. He's twenty four years old. He should be able to come straight over from the French league uh, and have an impact right away. And he's one of the players along with Trippier, I think, that they're not just going to be sold off after uh, Newcastle stave off relegation this season. They're going to be around, I think, until like the fulfillment of this this project. Maybe not Trippier, he's a bit old, but Gimaraish might be like the first puzzle piece in there that, you know, years down the line, three or four years from now, people are looking at that signing the way we look at like Vincent Company to Manchester City back in 2007 or 2008. Or David Silva, David Silva, yeah, something. Yeah, like but that, that was like they were already rich. Like, yeah, I'm just saying like the first puzzle piece that you build everything off of. Gimaraes is that kind of signing, and I don't feel like I'm overstating things by saying that. Where we want to go to next? We want to go a little bit further up the table. We got uh, some big signings at the uh, the top clubs. Let's go with Liverpool first. Luis Diaz, a guilty pleasure of a player for me. I've always loved watching him. I'm very annoyed that he's gone to Liverpool. Uh, young left winger from FC Porto moved for about 40 million. A move that kind of came out of nowhere and, you know, immediately gives Liverpool 
a different kind of variable off of that left wing. He's not as hardworking as Sadio Mane, but he does have all of the sort of goal scoring and dribbling talent that Sadio Mane has. And usually yeah, when he scores, really he scores worldies. To come to the Premier League. Yeah, he's going to score some some beautiful goals, and yeah, he's he's going to be a pain to play against. I'm not not looking forward to having to deal with Salah Mane, and I mean Firmino is still good, but you got to think that with Yota breaking into the team as as much as he is, you like even a front four with Diaz in it, it's going to be it's going to be mesmerizing and and impossible to deal with if you're a, a defender. So, not excited to play. I would say the other that's this is if if there was another huge signing that I would pick. This is the other one in, in the window because it kind of did, like you said, it came out of nowhere and it's a big player to move in January. I mean, you got to think that they're going to try to use him in the Champions League and, you know, he's 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 going to be a big part of the... They're not going to get a title push, but they're definitely going to not be in any danger of top four or anything like that because they have a player like this now. So, big signing for Liverpool and I, I I'm terrified to play against this guy. You can't go wrong when looking up any sort of like goal compilation for Luis Diaz, but I urge any of you listening to go look up his goal against uh, Brazil in last year's Copa America. Just like an obscene bicycle kick or scissor kick from a cross that was coming in from the from the right. It's just an obscene goal to score. I, I was actually texting with uh, our, our friend uh, our friend James about this, and I was saying how. This kind of seems like the nail in the coffin for Roberto Firmino's Liverpool career. But another part of me thinks this might be the sort of Liverpool prep preparing for Sadio Mane to leave. Because people people have been so caught up about Mohamed Salah's contract talks with, with his contract ending at the end of next season. They've just completely ignored the fact that Mane's contract ends at the same time. In 2023, he's out of contract. And... He's about to turn 30. I'm not saying they should get rid of him or that they will get rid of him. But with Jota and now with Luis Diaz for that left wing, Jota through the middle and Salah on the right, if Klopp wants to keep playing this three up up top, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen Klopp play with the, with two up top. So part of me thinks that it's Liverpool sort of preparing themselves to have players in place that they can at least make that decision about Mane from a position of strength like if someone comes in with a, an obscene contract offer for him and they can't afford to pay it, they, they'll they be sad to see him go because he's obviously been a legend at Liverpool, but they won't be strong-armed into having to sign him down to like a, a huge deal for multiple years because they have a younger, you know, just as talented option in, in Luis Diaz uh, on that left wing. He's... Uh, what do you think of that? Do you, do you think that's realistic that both Firmino and Mane go now no, because no, of this? I mean I think that's good I don't think they're gonna go both of them in one window but no I, like you said I think that, that they're preparing to possibly lose one in the summer and then one maybe the the year after that so but signings like this are gonna make it so this is a completely seamless transition Liverpool aren't gonna lose a beat yeah the, the thing I'll leave it on from this is that Luis Diaz did play in a team at Porto managed by Sergio Contestao who they're they're an aggressive pressing team, but he was sort of protected from having to do a lot of that pressing. He was the match winner. He was the the attacking flair player. The strikers at the top of that four four two did more pressing, like Musa Morega and Taremi and players like that. They do they usually did more pressing than Luis Diaz ever did. 
I don't think there's any room for passengers in this Liverpool team. So he's going to have to adapt quickly or, you know, he's not going to get in the team. So that, that that's something to keep an eye on when, when thinking of this Diaz transfer and how he's going to fit in at Liverpool. I think he can do it. I just haven't seen him do it yet. Um, the other top team in England that made a signing kind of under the radar, but it's a signing that certainly is going to have immediate impact is uh, Manchester City went out and got uh, Argentine forward Julian Alvarez. I know you hate it when I say it with an American accent. Julian Alvarez uh, from River Plate. Uh, I know very little about him. Uh, do you know any, any more? It kind of seems yeah, I mean, like I, a, I was, I was, I was tracking him because a lot of Arsenal fans wanted us to sign him for the Aubameyang replacement. And I, I would have been happy if we'd signed him. That's how good of a player I think he is. And from what you, he's another one where he's very young. He's only been playing in Argentina, but you can tell from what, like a player who right now is playing at a level that's not as high as the European leagues, um, but still is a very high technical league that he's just an extremely good technical player. Reminds me a lot of Sergio Aguero. I mean, he's... Oh, don't say that. He is. He's, he's, he's <laughs> such a clinical... He's, he's not, not that you're wrong. I'm just like, please, clinical. I don't want another one of those. <laughs> he's just... He's he's like 5'10", so he's taller than him, and he can actually head the ball. So, yeah, he's going to stay on loan uh, at River Plate till, I think, December and join in January January of next year, I believe. Oh, so I think he's going to stay on... He's, he's, not, he's not there immediately. No, he's not going to Manchester City immediately. Oh, okay. He's being he's being loaned back to River for a while um, until they finish their season. I don't maybe July or something like that. But he's not gonna. Yeah, I think July, and then he's going to join up with City probably for preseason. But until then, he's going to help River played out. Um, so it's not going to be immediate impact there. But yeah, I think in the future, he's one to watch. And don't be surprised if he starts getting game time like early next season. He's that good. He's going to be like Gabriel Jesus, I think, when he comes into the league, where he's going to just like yeah. the team's going to be so good around him, where even though he's going to be a really raw talent, he's just going to get goals and assists because he's going to be around such amazing players, and it's going to elevate his game. You know, the Gabriel Jesus comparison is interesting because Pep Guardiola wasn't afraid to like bring Gabriel Jesus like straight into the fold when he was like an eighteen-year-old. Julian Alvarez is twenty-one years old. He's Fresh off last season, had played 21 games, scored 18 goals, and had six assists. None of those goals were from penalties. So he's probably a more mature, polished player than Jesus. Uh, I'm going to reserve my judgment until I've actually gotten a chance to watch a bit more of him, though. Uh, but thank God he's not coming immediately. I mean, not that he won't be good eventually when he does come, but it's. I, I was under the impression that he was going to be in City's squad for the rest of this season, but... Guess we'll have to wait to see how he fits in. The other one of the, quote, big six teams that made a couple signings right near the end of the de deadline was uh, Tottenham. Antonio Conte finally got the, uh, well, at least a few signings that he, he was asking for, uh, both from Juventus, Rodrigo Bentancur, the midfielder, uh, the Uruguayan midfielder, on a uh, undisclosed amount. We don't know the amount they paid for him. And then uh, Dejan Kulusevski, the Swedish winger slash wingback, who's on loan until the end of the season. And I'm assuming the way Juventus do things, he's probably got an option or an obligation to buy at the end of the season. Is this enough for Tottenham to uh, give them that push they're going to need to, you know, usurp Manchester United and get into the top four? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I would have taken either one of them at Arsenal this, this, this transfer window. 
especially Betancourt, who I've watched quite a bit in that Uruguay team, and he's a very, very solid player. He, I think he instantly becomes the best center midfielder at Tottenham and just slots right into that team instantly. Um, and I think he's better than Hoiberg or Winks or, you know. Well, he's a bit. Uh, he's he's he, a little different. Like I know he sort of has the profile of a defensive midfielder, the way he's been utilized so far. But I think there's like potential there for Conte to use him as more of like a box to box type of player because you know Skip and Hoiberg uh, they're probably best suited to be the more defensive sitting midfielders. Whereas Bentancourt, like you said, he's he's so good that yeah. He, but he's I was gonna say he's like a, he's like a go forward. He's 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 a he's like a true center midfielder where he gives you attack, he gives you defense. He's not really a defensive midfielder, but I wouldn't call him an attacking midfielder either. You know, he's just kind of a jack of all trades. He's a box to box. He's number eight. Yeah, I mean, he's he's gonna be yeah. He's gonna I think he's gonna be a great signing for Tottenham. Kulusevski is another one that I, I from the little that I watched. When he played on Juventus, sometimes he'd come off the bench in the Champions League. You know, also when he he came off the bench in the Euros, he he's looked good. You know, he's been he's a young player still. I think he's only twenty one, and I think he's a player for the future for for Tottenham. I don't think he's going to be immediately good this season, but it gives them more wing, winger depth, gives them more you know uh, fullback depth and. You know, he can in a pinch he can be thrown in at, at left wing back or right wing back. It's, it's just a versatile player, a type of player that Antonio Conte can mold. So yeah, I think these are two great signings for Tottenham. I think Tottenham took their time to make these signings in the window, the last day literally, but I, I kind of have a have a feeling that they're both gonna work out. Yeah, that that's a weird aspect of having Daniel Levy still as the chairman and the main sort of deal maker at Tottenham. It always seems with him like he uses the deadline to make deals. Like he only is able to operate and get deals done when there is the threat of that deadline coming uh, to force it over over the line. It just allows him to uh, get those sort of bargain deals over the line. And that's usually what Levy is looking for first and foremost. Now, whether it's enough to get them top four, I'm still a little skeptical because Kulisevsky, like you said, as good of a signing as that is for the future and will will uh, really benefit Tottenham regardless of who their manager is. There, you know, there's there's still defensive problems to uh, overcome, and they have plenty of uh, players in those defensive positions, like center back and, and center midfield, to help Conte get to where he wants to be as a defensive unit, but. I still just can't trust like Eric Dyer to keep up his good form, you know, and players like that. I just, I just feel like there's too many mistakes there. I, I would have thought they'd be looking to make like one more defensive signing. Um, but uh, for me, it's certainly, it's certainly still in their hands. They've got like enough games in hand and um, yeah, they've, they've got the manager now that I think they're, they're still very much in the hunt for that, that uh, fourth champions league spot. Before we finish, there's a surprising uh, addition to the Premier League. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how big of a surprise this was, but I thought it was all kind of bullshit when I first heard the rumors. But Christian Eriksen has returned to the Premier League after his horrific uh, cardiac arrest in the Euros Good to last see summer. Back. Good to he's, see you back. He signed a deal as a from, as a free agent to uh, join Brentford. How big of an impact do you expect him to have? 
I, I'm I'm still not sure what to expect from him, but it's just nice I have to no see idea. him back. I, yeah, it's nice to see him back, but I have no idea if he's going to play or what type of impact he could have. Um, but there there are a few other transfers that I wanted to talk about, Alex. But you know what? You don't um, want to talk more about Christian Eriksen? The guy almost died no, like a year no. ago. The guy no, almost what, died. We don't, it was less than a year ago. Let's see him on the pitch. Let's see him kick a football, and then we'll know if he can ever play again. The dude might never actually play. We don't. Uh, we don't even know if he's getting paid. God, like, I hope he, we don't know. Well, what's he's getting on. paid. Come on, he signed a contract. Like he's a professional footballer. The only reason he couldn't play in Italy was because he had uh, some sort of uh, apparatus added to his heart to to fix whatever the issue was. But you know, all the doctors supposedly say he's you know fit as a fiddle and should be able to play no problem. So it's an interesting wrinkle that Brentford are able to get a player of that quality to help them. All right. in, Alex. I'm, I'm excited to see him back. He's Burnley. Wout Weghorst. Unvaccinated. <laughs> who, who would have known the only being unvaccinated reason, could, could help you so much? <laughs> the only reason Burnley got him is because he was... Apparently, all these other teams were inquiring for him, and then he's unvaccinated, so all the teams passed on him. But Burnley doesn't care about the vaccination status of their players. So... Well, Weghorst has signed for fifteen million. Record signing for Burnley, Alex. What? What? Do you think this is enough? This is this is not enough, Alex. I think Burnley are stand up. We're talking about Burnley, a club that got twenty five million for Chris Wood. They spent fifteen of it on a superior player, a player who was playing in the Champions League earlier this season. Like, I'm not saying Wout Weghorst is going to come in and have like 10 goals but he can score seven the guy's like six foot six he's bigger than chris wood he's better in the air than chris wood and honestly he's better with the ball like on the ground than chris wood is he can help them in build up do i condone the whole outspoken uh anti-vax stat like stance that he's taken because he has been very outspoken about it uh for like a year almost now no i'm not a fan of that but just purely looking at like the, the fit at Burnley, they have a ton of games in hand that, you know, I'm not guaranteeing that they'll win all of those, but they're on 18 games played and 12 points. They're bottom of the league. I know it doesn't look good, but they've managed big results against teams like Arsenal most recently. They went to Chelsea and got a 1-1 draw back in December or November. They went to West Ham a couple of weeks ago, uh, I guess. Well, no, not weeks ago. It was back in December as well. They went, they had West Ham at home and they drew nil-nil. So they still have that sort of Burnley DNA that it's it's not going to be easy against them a lot of the time. And now they've just added a Champions League striker who is perfectly fitted to what they want to do. It's not a guarantee, but... No, it's a good it, take, it, Alex. It's, it's the kind, it's gets the kind me of thing thinking. that I think should thinking. make Everton be a little worried. Everton, Norwich, Leeds even, who are on 22 points. Those teams need to be a little bit worried that if Burnley... They've done this before. They've built up a little bit of momentum in the second half of the season and gotten themselves out of a relegation battle. So why not again? No, it could happen. I mean, they they only have minus 11 goal difference. You know, they, they haven't conceded. They only conceded 27 goals, which if you look at all the other teams around them, they've all conceded 40 plus goals. So... Yeah, Burnley defensively still there. Maybe they just need to add some goals, like you said. But oh, also they, Maxwell Cornet has been Alex. away with the Ivory Coast yeah, for the African and Cup he of was, Nations. He was he was playing pretty well before he went away. So I agree, Alex. I think that there's there's more factors here that we need to see with Burnley before we completely 
call it a relegation. But yeah, we're we're white horse. I think that's a big signing. Um, another big signing is Roy Hodgson at Watford. Do we think that he could keep Watford up? I mean, he is the 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 new Sam Allardyce as is. You know, keeps keep keeps teams up, gets you defensively sound. They brought in a couple of like a left back and a center back couple of random wingers and center midfielders, a bunch of players I don't really know. Do you give them any chance? I, I don't really, even though I want to, because I see a lot of the same criticisms of Roy Hodgson being thrown around that I did when he took over at Crystal Palace. What was it, like four or five years ago? Do you remember when he took over at Palace after Frank DeBoer had started the season as manager? I think they'd lost their first four eight games, something like that. And everyone had just he turned you know, it around completely. He, them turned off. It around he, he did. Yeah, that was crazy. The, the, the main difference is obviously the fact that that was only eight games into the season. and He still had 30 games left to, to turn things around. Plus palace were already a very stout defensive team. The previous seasons, they were set up under managers like Tony Pulis and, and such to play that way. And what had gotten them in that terrible position was Frank DeBoer trying to like shift the the style of play at the club to be a more possession-heavy attacking style. It didn't work. Roy Hodgson came in, reverted back to the norm, got them back on track, and you know stabilized Palace as a Premier League side from there. So he did a good job. But we're talking about a Watford team that I don't think has anywhere close to the same defensive talent as that Palace team did back then. And you know, there's 18 games left in the season, and they're on 14 points. The only points they've picked up in the last five games has been a late draw with Newcastle, where they need Jao Pedro to score right near the end yeah, just to just get got the draw. Spanked three nil by by Norwich. By Norwich, yeah, really bad. Oof. So, I, I think it'll be enough to keep them in a relegation fight. I don't think it will be decided until right down to the end of the season, but I think in the end it'll be just a bit too big of a hurdle for Roy Hodgson to to overcome. Cause I think I agree, Alex. Yeah, I don't. I I don't see Roy Hodgson being the the solution to the defensive problems at Watford. They they needed some more defensive signings. I don't think they got enough. Couple more clubs to touch on here, Alex. Aston Villa. You know what? But let's leave the other clubs because we're we're running out of time here. Javier, all right, all right. Well, what, one what second. You, one you, second. Come on. What, what signings did Villa about make that makes? Yeah. Well, okay, that's what Arsenal, I'm saying. Arsenal. We need to talk about. Here's where I'm coming. Here's where I'm coming. All right. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, we canceled his contract. By mutual consent, he is now free transfer to Barcelona. Sead Kolasinic, same thing, canceled his contract. He went to Olympic Marseille. I, 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 you were right. He was washed up. He was done. I mean, like, I was Aubameyang? wrong about him. Yeah, Aubameyang, I was wrong. I thought he was going to still be a good for another year or two. I don't know what Barca are doing giving him a contract. I kind of think he might still be successful there because who does he have next, like behind him, Luke De Jong and and Memphis uh, Depay and Memphis Depay. Yeah, he'll probably start Ferran, on that team. Ferran but, Torres, maybe they might they might play Ferran Torres as a center forward. Chavi but I'm, seems like I'm that shocked kind of guy. for one that we were actually able to get rid of him in this transfer window. You know, because I kind of thought that he was just going to wallow on the bench or in exile for the next half of the season and then go in the summer and. People were people have been crying and saying, why didn't Arsenal bring in players this transfer window? The players that left, the only one that I'm 
a little bit miffed that we didn't bring any replacement for was Callum Chambers because he went on a free transfer to Aston Villa and he was kind of our center back, fourth center back, fifth center back slash right back cover. We didn't bring one of those in. Maitland Niles was loaned to Roma. Palomari also loaned. These are players who all we don't really want at the club. Maitland Niles, Mari, Chambers. Chambers has been at the club for years and years and years. He's finally gone. He's another one who I didn't I thought he was still gonna be at the club a couple more years. I'm happy we were able to move him on. I mean, same with Kolasinac had a, I think only six months left, so that was fine that, that that part of that deal's gone. But even like moving on Palomari on, on loan right now, I, all of these moves if we have if we were in other competitions in Europe, people would be saying that we're crazy because we're leaving ourselves with only enough depth for the Premier League, basically. But right now, it's setting us up for summer coming around. We're gonna have basically the, the Lacazette's gonna be, I think, out of a contract. He's on a hundred thousand, eighty hundred and eighty thousand a week. After that, the next highest paid player is on like a hundred and thirty thousand. So like our wage structure is going to be completely revamped. There's going to be no players on four hundred thousand, on three hundred thousand, and hopefully that means that they can sign three, you know, three or four players on big wages, and that they can actually bring players in on big transfers. And you know, we tried to do it with Vlahovic, didn't work out. He wanted to go to Juventus. That that was the, definitely the biggest signing of the winter window I wouldn't have ever imagined the Vlahovic was actually going to move on but yeah I mean I'm not unhappy with this winter window purely because I think we've moved on more trash the team is ready now to to full like it's we've transformed if you look at the team from under Unai Emery in 2018 and the team now there's only about a handful of like the 30 players that were in that Unai Emery team and the handful of players is like Smithrow, Saka you know players who are now thriving who back then were youngsters, but it's 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 telling how much Arteta's been able to do in terms of being able to get rid of just so much of the dead weight and garbage that... Now, he's made mistakes, obviously. I'm not saying he's perfect. Do you mind if I cut this, ram- this I, ramble off for just... Sure. Just one sure, thing. Alex. You're saying you're not, you're, you're not unhappy with the window, but what is what is the goal that for this season that you guys are trying to work towards... That would lead you to be not unhappy with this window, and if you say top four, then you're bullshitting me. No, I mean I think realistically at the beginning of the season we were just trying to get back right. into no, no, Europe. No, it's not the beginning think... of the season. It's January of 2022. Sure. A month ago, now, Arsenal fans yet. had readjusted their sights with the way you know Manchester United seemed to be imploding. Tottenham were still sort of finding their way under Conte. West Ham were starting to drift off a little bit. I mean, Alex, we're, we're still in pole four. position to make it. We're still pole position to make it top four. There's no I think reason. If you, if you, you realistically want to top absolute, four, if you, you needed, still think Manchester United can make it into top four, you, okay. Well, if uh, Manchester United give me didn't Manchester make any United, big Alex. Need, uh, give me Manchester United. Give me Tottenham. Hell, I think, I think you're in danger of having like wolves creep up on you. Like wolves are a team that is quietly rounding into form. Right at the right time of the season for them, Wolves could finish above Tottenham or Spurs. I'm looking at too, Arsenal and I'm thinking Tottenham or Manchester United. Could we see another th- a third straight eighth place season for Arsenal in the Premier League this season? That's what this means for you guys. You guys needed that fresh blood and you needed that injection of goals 
because Lacazette, as well as he's fit into like this young core where he's the central striker and he drops in and gets on the ball so and sorry, helps Alex. play the ball around. You, you don't have. I, I, I let you, you go have... for five minutes. Give me, give me a second here. As good of a fit as he is there, you guys still need it. Like I said to you before the season with Aubameyang and Lacazette, you guys needed another, like a different option in terms of your main goal scorer. And if you come back and say Nico Pepe will be the one, I'm going to, I, I just give up because. The only thing he's ever done for Arsenal is score like a flurry of goals at the end of last season when none of those games mattered and you were already like chalked in eighth place. So before the Burnley nil nil game, listen, before the Burnley nil nil game, before the Burnley nil nil game, which we didn't have half of our team, okay, especially our midfield, we'd scored 12 goals in the previous four games in the Premier League. We just scored against West Ham. We scored. We scored two against West Ham. We scored against Manchester City. We put five past Norwich and four past Leeds. You scored one We've goal in the Premier scoring. League in January. We played one Premier League game in January. Two. Two. I'm sorry. Burnley and City. Okay, great. So what an irrelevant stat, Alex. You're pulling how, out okay, bullshit stats. How about stats. a different stat? Listen. You, so how about yeah, a you're right. Stat. You you're had right. one no, goal no, no, in no, all no. competitions you're in right. January. FA Cup, you Carabao right. Cup. Okay. Two games in Carabao Cup. You. Listen, you guys fucked up in those two. You are right. My my expectations go, coming into December and and rounding into like in December when we were playing well was top four. I have not changed my expectation whatsoever. Why would I? We didn't get rid of any players, and I still think that this team is good enough to make it top four the way that they were playing. Until I see evidence otherwise, I'm not going to think differently. So for so, um, for yes, a month Alex. of the season where your young players scored a bunch of goals against uh, Leeds when they were at their worst. Oh yeah, we've only been good for a month in the season, right? That's why we're. Yeah, that's why it was that. It was that month. It was that month right after uh, Aubameyang missed a game. But Tottenham and Tottenham Manchester. Yeah, but here's the thing: that much more consistent. Tottenham have have a striker. They have a they have a golden boot winning a multiple golden boot winning striker. Well, we have much better defense than them, dude. And guess what? Defenses win titles. Okay, now you can take that T word out of your mouth because you're not going to be saying that probably for a very long time. Yeah, Tottenham. They have a striker. Manchester United, not only do they have Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, guaranteed goals there, but they had Edinson Cavani they could bring off the bench. They could even play Marcus Rashford up top and still get plenty of goals. Those teams all have very oh, yeah. consistent and, and then, attacking options. Right, and they're going to concede like five goals when they play Cristiano, Cavani, and Rashford up top, right? Yep, Alex. Yeah, but you know, they'll win, that's they'll what they've win, been doing so far six, this five. season. <laughs> I just, I trust so, them more. I, uh, I'm sticking my, with my original top four pick from the beginning of the yeah. season. Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United. With Tottenham close behind and just barely missing out. Um, so, I, I think you guys would do well to, to achieve your original goal for this season, which was sixth place. Which you're in, you're in right now. But, you know, there's pressure coming from behind. What about Brighton, Javier? Brighton, they're 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 six points off you guys. They've been playing well. They haven't lost any of their last five Premier League games. Brighton Wolves. Well, actually, you know what, Alex, and 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 let me let me just bring it up here because we have three games in hand on Chelsea. We win those three games in hand, <laughs> and we're a point behind you, uh, Alex. So That's the great. Yeah, I would be. Would I'd say, be worried, Alex. I would be worried, favor. Alex, if I was you. Do me a I favor. I would be very worried if I was you, Alex. Just because you're sitting there with three games in hand on the rest of the league, and you're looking over, saying, "Oh, we're we're nine points ahead of Arsenal right now." Yeah, just give it a little bit, Alex. Give 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 it a little bit here. All right. Well, let's wrap things up there. We went about ten minutes over from what I wanted. Javier, I, you know, I'm really happy that you His continue. His team's won one game in the last five games, and he's talking all this shit. Good I don't know what you're God. talking about. Uh, what are you talking about, man? 
One goal, a, one game in the last five won, in the Premier League. We don't care about cup games. We won our FA Cup game. Oh yeah, you guys. meaningless trash games that nobody cares about. Cool, Alex. The FA Cup. I thought the FA Cup was your favorite competition. That's your your favorite. You got you guys have won like one. The FA finals. Cup the, game. the finals. The only thing that matters. The finals. The only thing that matters. And you always lose those. Ar- stars Arteta's won one FA Cup game in the two years since winning it. He's a real cup manager. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'm glad you can keep uh, keeping such a positive outlook on Arsenal because I, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, but, fuck you, Alex. I, I was going to come know. in here with guns blazing earlier in the pod, but I had to come in at the end, you know, to bring out my uh Well, thank you for jumping Arsenal. on this one, Javier. I'm going to go watch the South Park premiere. I hope you guys enjoyed this way too long of a transfer <laughs> recap pod. Uh, we were going to talk about some of the Premier League game, the Premier League game going on this weekend, but there there is the uh, the one game. Yeah, Burnley Watford should be a fun. Burnley one. Watford relegation six pointer. Right relegation six pointer. Enjoy yeah. it. Weg Weghorst, he's about to be unleashed. Watch Watford show up with all masks, like they play with masks on. They're just like, I don't want to play against Weghorst. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the, there's there's a pretty low uh, vaccination rate in the Premier League as well. So uh, I don't think they're they're going to be concerned. No, yeah, I know. I'm sure the players won't actually care. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Javier on Twitter at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and, and Instagram at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. If you're a Spotify user, I'd really appreciate it if you went ahead and looked up the pod on Spotify at Podcast and gave us a five-star review. Really appreciate that because that would help uh, new listeners find the pod and... We'd all love it if you guys helped us uh, grow this thing. So enjoy the FA Cup and one Premier League game this weekend. And until next time, see ya.